So glad you guys are here uh, at Raider Church. My name is, is Brandon. If you're like online and you're just jumping on, you might be a little bit confused. You might think that Clayton must have somehow magically decided to grow an amazing, awesome beard this past week and also decided to put on a few extra pounds of muscle, right? Uh, but I'm not Clayton Walker, okay? I'm Brandon Gwynn, and no one is as disappointed in that as I am, okay? So uh, I'm not him, and I'm not going to try to be him, but uh, I'm here nonetheless. And believe it or not, I, I'm a little bit older than you guys. I'm one of the, the oldest ones. I say one of, I mean the oldest person on our staff. Uh, but we have a lot in common, you and I. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm in college as well. Uh, I, I'm actually starting my 19th year at South Plains College. Uh, I'm still technically a sophomore. I'm going for their, uh, their 20 year associate's degree program, you know, so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful it's gonna work out. Uh, it's definitely not, because I'm never going back. But we've been in a series called, But If Not, okay? And we're talking about life. And whether you're old like me or young like you, or whether you're Christian or, or not, everyone goes through difficult times in life. None of us are immune. And uh, life is tough sometimes, right? One of the toughest parts of my life is, is parenting. I'm a, I'm a parent. Guys, being a parent is, is tough, okay? I have a wife. I have kid, three kids. Here's a, a picture of them, just because you've never met us. This is my wife, Jennifer. We've actually been together for, gasp, 24 years, believe it or not. Yeah, we started dating when we were three. Uh, <laughs> and I have a, a beautiful 15-year-old daughter uh, named Taylor. And two boys, Aiden is almost 12 and Xander uh, is eight. But my kids, man, they're, they're great kids. I love them. But parenting is hard. And when you're a kid, I don't know if you remember back, but like everything is difficult and everything is like the worst thing ever, right? Any kind of responsibility you put on them, they just, they just melt. Like they, they think their life is so difficult and they don't understand like being a kid is awesome. Like your whole life is about like playing and candy and that's about it, right? Like that's all you have to worry about. But my kids, man, they, they just get this posture like, oh, it's the worst ever, homework. This kind of posture right here. Like this should be the mannequin in, <laughs> in like every kid's store. Like, like do you have that outfit in this shape right here? Because this is what my kids look like all the time. The worst. They complain about everything. And, and when you're talking about generations, my kids fall into the post-millennial generation, or some people call it the Generation Z, the same generation most of you are in, believe it or not. There may be some millennials in here, but man, if I'm being honest, post-millennials, Gen Zers, whatever, millennials, you guys get a bad rap because you have to d deal with a lot of stuff that we didn't have to deal with growing up. You know, you face a whole lot of things that I never had to deal with. I don't know, let's just make a list here. Uh, global warming, right, that's a thing. Global cooling, too, some people get freaked out about. Social media addiction, that's gotta be rough, right? What about slow download speeds? Oh my gosh, I, I feel so badly for you guys, you know, like, or how, about, how about this? YouTube ads, oh my, what? YouTube ads are the worst. Man, when I was growing up, we didn't have to deal with YouTube ads. Of course, we didn't have YouTube, and we didn't even really have internet yet, but you, you see what I'm saying? YouTube ads are, are awful. What about all, like, the, the health scare stuff, like gluten? Like, what's the deal with gluten? <laughs> what is that? And why is it bad for me? You know, when I was your age, we ate 
big bowls of gluten for breakfast, and we turned out okay, you know? Or, or don't even get me started with lactose intolerance. Like, what is that? Like, milk gives you the toots or something? Like, I don't, I don't understand where this is coming from. It, if you guys want stress, live in my shoes for a day, okay? Here's my list. I have a, a mortgage, okay? I have uh, utility bills. I flooded a bathroom last week. I had a water leak. Uh, I've got high blood pressure problems. I've got bad ankles. My hair is thinning. Um, I'm married. <laughs> I love you, Jennifer. She's watching. It comes with its own set of stresses, right? A job. I work for Clayton. Come on. Yeah, that's stress. So, so cherish your years in college because I promise it's all downhill from here, okay? Life gets hard. It's tough. And if we're being honest, man, it gets bad sometimes. And on all of us, again, we're not exempt. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through difficult things. We're going to lose a loved one. We're going to lose a relationship. We're going to experience a divorce. It's hard, man. And in those moments of just desperation that life puts us in, when life tries to, to crush us, where do you turn? Does your faith grow? Do you turn towards God or do you turn away from God? See, in this series, we're talking about three different stories in the Bible where I hope we can draw from it some hope that, that we too can have our faith grow when we go through difficult circumstances. Clayton talked last week about the fiery furnace, right? Shadrach, Meshach, the other guy, uh, to bed we go or something, I don't know. <laughs> this week, I'm talking about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, and we're going to be in Acts 16. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, or the verses uh, will be on the screen, or if you want to go to the, the website, raiderchurch.com, message notes are on there. You can follow along there as well. So a little history about Paul. You recognize him, right? He wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. One of his sidekicks was Silas for a little while. They went all around the region teaching and preaching, sharing the good news about Jesus. Well, they come across this town called Philippi. And they're doing their thing, they're teaching, people are getting saved, they're getting baptized, they're getting healed. I mean, they're killing it. And they have this girl that starts following them around, okay? And it's not just any girl, it's, it's actually a, a, a demon-possessed girl, okay? And it's a demon-possessed slave girl. And it wasn't just a demon-possessed slave girl, it was a, a future-telling demon-possessed slave girl, right? And her masters were making a killing off of her because she could tell people's fortunes. And she's following them around day after day after day, yelling to people like, hey, these guys are from God. They're going to tell you how to get saved. And I guess Paul just gets tired of it. He turns around and tells the demon, demon, get out. And the demon comes out. And now the masters don't have a future telling demon possessed slave girl. They just have a, a girl <laughs> and they're ticked off because they've lost a ton of money. They're mad. So they drag Paul and Silas before the city leaders. And man, things start to unravel really quickly. And so we'll pick it up in verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Okay, time out. Think about this. If, if you were Paul, if this were you, how does all this hit you? Like, 
If it were me and I, I had devoted my life to God and devoted my life to going everywhere, telling everyone about Jesus and that he had risen from the dead and I was teaching and preaching and people were getting healed and saved. I was baptizing people and I was doing everything that God wanted me to do. I was saying everything God wanted me to say. I was going everywhere he wanted me to go. I mean, I was doing everything that I could and it gets me beaten severely while naked, right? I mean, can you think of anything worse? That was awful. I would be pretty ticked. I would probably be questioning God at that point. In fact, if I were Paul, this is how the next verse would read. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were talking about their misfortune. Paul said to Silas, this is rough. Maybe it's time to think about a, a different line of work. To this, Silas replied, tell me about it. That naked beating really sucked. Paul was like, bro, I bet I can get us on if the synagogue in Jerusalem, that job is super cush. Silas is like, I'm down. This would have been my response because it ain't worth it, right? I didn't sign up for all of this. I would be a little bit mad at God maybe. But what was their response? They said this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns to God. I mean, what? Like it couldn't have gotten any worse for them. They're, they're there in a, in a dungeon, not, not Lubbock County Detention Center, right? I mean, this was a 2,000 years ago jail in the inner dungeon. They'd been beaten. They're in chains. And they're singing to God. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could do it. And so, you know, you start thinking, what did they have that I don't have? So we're going to go through a couple of things that, that just as I look at it, I, I see, and man, I wish to everything that my response could be like theirs, but we, we got to change some things about the way we're living our life. The first one is this, how'd they do it, man? They had a God-given joy, joy. Now, joy isn't just being happy, Okay. Joy is this, this God-given thing. So like when we become Christians, we commit our life to Christ. Clayton's talked a lot about it the last couple of weeks. We get the Holy Spirit that lives in us, right? One of the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, one of the byproducts of his Spirit living in us is joy. And as our relationship with God grows and as we mature, we start to get those little deposits in us. Just joy becomes a natural part of who we are. Okay? It's a, it's a deep-seated contentment that kind of supersedes anything else that's going on around us. It's, it's not the way we normally live, which we, we live by these drastic, knee-jerk, overly emotional reactions to everything that happens to us, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, look at, look at social media for like two seconds, and you see all the OMGs and FMLs and just, you know, like, ah, my life sucks, Right? This is what you see everywhere you look. And then you're feeling down, so you'll follow that up with one of those tell me I'm pretty selfies, right? And if you're feeling super spiritual, you might put a little scripture at the bottom, right? Clothed in wonderment or whatever. Like, what, what, look, give me a second to be the old man on his lawn screaming at the kids, okay? What your face and a scripture have in common? I have no idea, but, but God, God bless you uh, for wanting to be so spiritual in your selfie. Okay, I got that off my chest. We're good. Um, and if you're a guy, don't ever do that. Okay? 
All right, awesome. <laughs> I, that was not even planned, I promise. The, the Holy Spirit uh, led me to that reaction. So I don't even know where I am anymore. All right. We need joy in our lives, man. What does your life look like emotionally? Like, is it a roller coaster? Do you encounter problems and you get super low and then you're high and then you're low and low and high? And think about this. Think about in your life, if you have a person that you look up to spiritually, like if you were to, to picture the best Christian you know, right? Like if you look at them, you're like, man, that person's relationship with God is what I want. You have someone like that? Like, does that person go through difficult things? They definitely do, right? What does their life look like? Is it like this? Or is it more like this? I'll bet you their life is just even killed. Why? Because their relationship with God has developed to the point where they're not thrown around by life. They have a, that deep-seated joy, contentment, just like Paul and Silas did, where they're able to, to get you know, to the lowest point of their lives probably at this point and still be able to sing and worship God. The next one is this. They had a God-given mission. They were on a mission from God. They were on a mission to tell everyone in the world about Jesus and that he had risen from the dead. They were on a mission. When you're on a mission... You have to expect opposition, okay? They had an enemy. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, the, the city council members or whatever. It wasn't the jailer. It was, it was Satan, right? The word tells us we don't fight against flesh and blood, but, you know, rulers of darkness. Satan is our enemy. Man, I'm hooked on this podcast right now called Covert. It's so good. It's telling all these stories about secret, top secret missions and you know, these high-level military people tell them about the, the planning and how to carry out the mission, and it's like a play-by-play -play thing. It's, it's amazing. Like, one of the first episodes is about the killing of Osama bin Laden, and they have ones about rescuing different, um, you know, like, uh, people hijack a plane, whatever, and they, they got to get the people rescued or whatever. There's one about uh, Somalia, the Black Hawk Down thing, and it's incredible, man. I mean, think about this. Do you think those Navy SEALs or whoever it was that was going in uh, to that compound to take down bin Laden, do you think they expected opposition when they were on that mission to take him down? They didn't walk up to the gate and just like knock on it and be like, hey, we're here for bin Laden. We're, we're going to kill him and then get surprised when they got shot at, right? Like they had a plan and they executed it. Paul and Silas, man, they had an enemy. The word tells us that Satan wants to kill us. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. They were on a mission. They knew what they signed up for. When you're on a mission, you have to expect opposition. And they decided that it was worth it. They would eventually both be killed, be killed because of their faith, right? They were, they, they were, they were martyred, but they... They knew what they were getting into. They, they, they thought it was worth it, man. It's worth it. They're on a mission. The last one is this. They had a God-given perspective. This is huge. It's huge. See, Paul and Silas knew it wasn't just about the here and now. It wasn't just about life as we know it right now. 
They had an eternal perspective. Eternal perspective like, like God has. Like when God, when he looks at things, like God's timeless. God's eternal. He's already in our tomorrow, right? He knows how it all ends up. But we get so in the weeds of our life and our problems, that's all we see. You've heard that, uh, that saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. That always confused me, but I finally figured it out, right? It's like if you're in the, in the forest and all you really see is like the two or three trees in front of you, you have no concept of the size of the forest or what's on the other side. But if you could pull yourself up to that helicopter view and, and see it all together, you gain some perspective. God sees the whole picture. Man, our, our lives are like that. I mean, they, David talks about it in Psalm 144. He said, man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. We have our life and then we have eternity. As Christians, we should be focused more on eternity than we are our, our present circumstances. That's a huge perspective change. It's huge. We're not promised tomorrow. Our lives are here and then they're gone and then there's eternity. And if we have that perspective, we, we have this hope because we know that on the other side of this life, we have waiting for us uh, uh, eternity with him in heaven, in absolute perfection. As believers, listen to this, as believers, our current circumstances, no matter how permanent they are, are only temporary. No matter how permanent they are, they're only temporary. The more we take hold of the life to come, the life uh, with, with him in, in eternity, the, the more we take hold of that, the more we can loosen our grip on this life. The more you look forward to the next world, the less you'll need this one. The more your eyes are on the promised prize of heaven, the more you're willing to withstand present difficulty. It's not just about today. <laughs> we have eternity to think about. That's a huge perspective shift. And that God perspective gives you hope. Clayton talked about that some last week too. Yes, we still go through trouble. We still mourn. We still uh, have pain, right? We still suffer but we mourn with hope. We suffer with hope because we know how the story ends. God wins in the end. And that's what Paul and Silas realized in that moment. They had this trust in God and this eternal perspective that allowed them to kind of see past their current situation and just know that they know that they know that God was going to handle it. God was going to move. God was going to win in the end. Whether they lived or they died, God wins. God's going to be glorified. They're going to end up with him in heaven. It's all good. How do we get to that point in our lives? So how does their story end? Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly... There was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights. He ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then 
He brought them out and asked this. Listen to this. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's amazing. And he goes on to say that the jailer's whole family, his whole household, they were saved and they were baptized. When they worshiped, God moved. And you might say, well, well, was that God's will all along? It, it was his will to put Paul and Silas through all the beatings and in prison just so he could reach this family? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe they ended up there because they lived in a sinful, broken, hateful world. I don't know. But I do know this. God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't waste anything. God has this amazing ability to take your, your pain, your hardship, your, your past, your shame, your failures. He has this way of taking those things and turning them into something beautiful and miraculous and life-changing, not just for you, but for everyone around you. God doesn't cause everything. He doesn't waste anything. He uses it for his glory. I want you guys to hear from some friends of mine. They're Ace and Jen Williams. They've been through some stuff, and I wanted you guys to hear their story, so check it out. So he had moved through life very normal, controlled, even strategic. We dated four years throughout college with a one-year engagement, then graduated college, purchased our first home, got married, and one year later started to grow our family. We discovered that we were expecting after five months and were overjoyed at the prospect of our new controlled strategic baby. At 20 weeks, you get to find out what the gender of your baby is with an ultrasound. So we invited our family, some even traveling hours to come. So we could all celebrate together the news that we were about to get. Girl or boy, we had already picked out the name Shelby, which was her great, great grandpa's name. In the same breath, the technician told us that we were gonna have a baby girl. She stopped and she moved the probe more intentionally. And she gave us that look you know, that look that says your life is about to change and not in the way that you thought it was. She stopped the ultrasound and said that she needed to go get the doctor, that something was wrong. That day in the cry room, which is that room that's got the box of Kleenex on the table, we learned that our tiny Shelby had an issue Words like miscarriage, abortion, vegetable, non-responsive, having a lifetime of pain, were delicately delivered to us like one of those blows was going to lose our grip on reality. That morning, we were dancing into that office to find out the gender, (laughs) 
the gender of our baby. And walking out of that visit, we were numb and so lost. And at 22 weeks, they sat down with us and explained that Shelby had hydrocephalus. Um, they couldn't tell us what her life expectancy was gonna be because there was also heart problems. And they said, we need to know what you wanna do. Our prayers weren't make the test wrong or take this from us, Lord. It was tell us what you want us to do. Help us be strong enough to do what we need to do and to trust you no matter what. Even if Shelby never tells you, I love you, mommy and daddy. Even if at 15 years of age, you are still changing her diapers. Even if she can't feed herself or walk for herself. Even if I take her at a young age, do you trust me? We pictured our family in each of those even if outcomes, and we knew that we could survive with God in the middle. His perfect, loving, all-knowing guidance was more crucial to our family than our normal, controlled, and strategic desires. Shelby is a beautiful, young, 15-year-old girl. She has undergone a hysterectomy, six brain surgeries, spent at least one of every holiday in the hospital, had multiple seizures, and had so many challenges to deal with. Everyday life with Shelby is hard, especially when we compare it to her peers and, you know, they're getting driving permits and manicures with moms and dancing with dads. The enemy has a way of making us think that our problems are so much more worse than others and their lives are better than ours. When we believe it, he wins. If someone came to us that day during our 20-week ultrasound, and told us that there was a mistake, that we could have a healthy, perfect baby. I think we would jump at that. But if somebody were to come to us today and say, if we changed your baby out and you couldn't have Shelby anymore, would you do it? And we would absolutely say no. It's been physically hard, emotionally exhausting, financially impossible, but getting to witness her life and all of the people she has influenced has been our tangible blessing to witness. Shelby's life has touched so many, not by her voice since she can't talk and not by her actions since she can't walk, but our family's faithfulness and the strength that can only come from Him. God has revealed Himself in real ways to our lives of His faithfulness that we would have missed had we not accepted this journey. If His will is to protect her, heal her, or even take her home, we trust Him like clay in the hands of the great potter.
So the question that so many of us have is why? Like, why? Why, why would God allow this family to have, have to go through that? You've heard these questions before. I hear them all the time. If God is so loving, why does he let things like this happen? How can I serve a God like that? See, this world is broken. God never intended it to be this way. See, when God created us, he created man, it was to be in a, an intimate relationship with him. Just like Adam and Eve walked and talked with him in the garden. Nothing between them. That's how he intended it to be. But he also gave us free will. And we screwed that up. And sin came into the picture. And it broke everything. There was suddenly this distance between us and God. We were separated from him by our sin. And we were cursed to live in a, a broken, sinful, hateful, ugly place. And we live with the consequences. But see, God had a redemption plan that he set into motion 2,000 years ago. He sent his son to earth. He was all God and all man. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He, he lived a life of sinless perfection. But then he died the death that we deserve to die. He died for our sin, our shame. He died to, to pay our fine. Just so that we could have the chance to put our faith in him. To accept that, that offering that he's, he's giving us. A forgiveness so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right with God. We could be adopted into his family and we'd have a relationship with him. All the while living with the hope of what's to come, eternity with him in heaven. We all face eternity. It's gonna be in heaven or it's gonna be separated from God in hell. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know your story, I don't know what your relationship with God looks like. But there are some people here that maybe you've racked up a lot of church attendance. Maybe you try to be the best Christian you can be, the best person you can be, but you know at the core of who you are that you don't have a relationship with God. Don't waste another second. I know you're hurting, but so does God. He hurts with you. He loves you. He's chasing after you. Man, turn to him. Turn to him. Start a relationship with him. Put your faith in what he did for you on the cross. And yes, we're still going to go through things. We're still going to struggle, but we can struggle with hope. Jesus is our only hope. 
And he told us, Jesus himself said, listen, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be difficult. But he didn't leave it there. He goes on to say, but, but listen, don't be afraid because I have overcome the world. Like he wins in the end. We know how the story ends. We don't have to live our life in chains. If you only knew the, the power of making a choice to worship God, even when you don't feel like it. Paul and Silas, they, they literally worshiped off their chains. Something happens when we choose to do that. Here's the bottom line. This is what I want to leave you with. God won't always change your circumstances, but he will always change your perspective. Please remember this. He won't always change your circumstances. He, he might. He can. He has the power to do whatever. But he might not. But one thing he promises, he's going to change your perspective. I promise you. If you just open yourself up to him. I want to ask you guys to stand with me. We're going to do a little something different. I want everybody, if you're, if you're comfortable, put your hands like this. Open palms. Just as a, a physical representation of, of surrender or a physical representation of, of letting go of something. Of letting go of your difficulty. Letting go of your addiction. Letting go of sin or shame. or There's something that's holding you back from him. close your eyes and just <laughs> as much as you can in a room full of people, just, just come before him, just you and him simply and honestly. No games, no masks, no pretending. He knows you. There's something in your life you need to trust him with. Give it to God. Give it to him. We pray so much for God to change our situation. But what if God is more interested in changing you? Some things in our life can only be done through our situations that we would never choose, right? We, we hurt, but maybe God knows the good that's on the other side of the hurt. We try to get out of our difficulty, but what if God is trying to get into it? What if he's trying to get into your pain? We're gonna pray, pray with me. Just repeat after me, we're gonna to pray together. Father God, repeat after me, Father God, I know you can change my circumstance, but if not, I still choose to worship you. I still choose to trust you. I still choose to believe that you are on the throne and you're in control and that you love me and that you have what's best for me and mine. I love you so much, Jesus. In your name, amen.
we're gonna sing. Remember, things change when we worship God out of our difficulty. You have an enemy. He wants to kill you. At the very least, he wants to keep you distracted. He wants to keep you with your eyes focused on your problems, focused on everything that's happened to you, focused on your past and your shame, your shortcomings, all of your failures. Don't let him tonight. Don't let this moment pass you by. God wants to do something real in your heart, not some emotional high, but he can change you. You can worship your chains off. Turn into him. Open yourself up to him. God, we give this to you. We love you so much. We want to be different, God. We don't want to be chained to our past. We don't want to be chained to our suffering. God, we trust you. And even though we don't feel like it, and even though we're still hurt, and we choose in this moment to worship you, and we choose to say that you are God, you're on the throne, and we worship you, God. We love you so much in his name. Amen.